Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, we're so glad that you are with us this morning as we are starting week two of our three-week series called Friending. Now, we talked about this series last week, and so if you, if you missed it, you have an opportunity to go online to palmerocom slash messages and catch up, as well as following on the uh, iTunes podcasts or Google Play. Um, but if you want to catch up, that's, that's a great way to be able to do that. Um, but we talked about this idea that we recognize that talking about friendships is something that can be a little tough when we get to be adults. It's not as easy as when you're a kid and say, will you be my friend? And that's it. You're friends for life. It's this idea that it might be a little tough, and yet friendships and who we surround ourselves with, friendships both good and bad, can impact us in so many different ways. It can impact our feelings. It can impact our relationships. It can impact our walk with God, and it can impact our future. And so this morning, as we dive into uh, week two, I wanted to just give a quick reminder of last week's main point, was that like Jesus, we are surrounded by people. Some of us may have fans, many have followers, but we all need friends, that we can't believe or, or buy into the fact that having a lot of Facebook friends is enough. That a friendship is more than just the idea of someone who likes our posts or follows us on social media. That a friendship must be done, as Craig Groeschel says, face to face, not thumbs to thumbs. That it's something that people need to get together and put our phones down and pick our mugs up and be able to have a, a friendship that is lasting that is honoring to one another and that is honoring to God. And so we want to just encourage. And yes, there's distance in those things and we have to navigate that, but yet we want to be surrounded by people in our lives that we need that are true friends. And so that was our main point last week. This week, we're going to dive into the idea of the company that we keep based off of Psalm chapter one. And so before we open up the scripture together, I'd ask that you join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are here in this place, and I thank you for each and every person that is here. Lord, none, nobody that is here is here by accident. Everybody that is here is, is here because you love them, and you want to draw closer to them, and I pray that we would have our eyes, ears, and hearts open to what it is that you would have for us. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person, Lord, and thank you that we can learn what it means to be a good friend. We can recognize that you have allowed us to be called friends of God, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, we love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, I've shared with you before that I became a Christian right before my sophomore year of college. And so I was at UC San Diego, um, and it was just a day or two before I started school that I gave my life to the Lord. So it was on September 20th, 2003. What that meant for me was, it changed everything, but what it meant practically was that I had already chosen my roommates uh, from freshman year, and those were the ones that I had committed to live with for sophomore year. And yet, between the end of freshman year and the beginning of sophomore year, my life was radically changed by Jesus. And so that was a year in my life that was so growing and so fruitful. It was the year in which I received the call to, to ministry, to be a senior pastor. It was a year in which God had opened up so many different doors and it was a beautiful year. And yet it was still a difficult year. And sometimes some of our most beautiful fruit comes out of the soil of difficulty or, or trials. And I remember I had these roommates who, they didn't know the Lord, they, they weren't, you know, they had no desire to know the Lord. And so 
I had chosen them before I came to know the Lord. And then when I had surrendered my life to him and then tried to live as roommates with them, then there are some, there's things that started to come up. So before I knew God, I would uh, play racquetball with one of them. And we would play at the UC San Diego uh, racquetball courts. And if I missed a shot, again, before I knew the Lord, like I would just yell a huge cuss word and I would just swear really loudly, which when you're in a room that's, if you've ever been in a racquetball court, like the acoustics just reverberate over and over again. Like it's, it's, it's offensive. Like it's really bad. But I would do that because I was just, you know, I didn't know any better and I was just mad and I was upset. And, and, you know, ever since I gave my life to the Lord, like I haven't cussed, I don't swear, but that was how I was. And so my roommate was like, man, I wish they, I missed the time when we would go play racquetball and if you missed a shot, you would just, you know, blurt out something. And it's this idea of like, there were just these little tensions, but then there became bigger tensions too. That there'd be tensions where I'd walk out, we each had our own room that was kind of lined up here, there's a little hallway, and I'd walk out of my room and, and just because they wanted to and it kind of caused me to try to stumble or things like that, like they would have a laptop up just playing inappropriate movies just on my doorstep as I walked out because they wanted to just get a reaction out of me or they wanted to do that. And so it was this idea that who I was when I surrounded myself with these friends was not who I was once I had been redeemed in my relationship with Jesus. I had changed. My desires had changed. My personality had changed. My life had changed. And so because of that, tensions started to develop. And my guess is that I'm not the only one that's experienced this kind of tension when God has taken a hold of us and the people closest to us start to notice a change. That maybe it's your friends in school that they used to, used to help each other cheat during tests and you think to yourself, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have integrity. But they say, listen, let's just go back to what we always do. Why aren't you the same person that you once were? What's wrong with you? What's going on? Or maybe it's the person at work that encourages you to cut corners and to sacrifice your integrity for the sake of better numbers or better sales or better results. Maybe it's the friend that says, hey, you know what? I know you got a family at home. Let's blow off our family, whatever it is. Let's just go off and let's just go to the bars, let's just see if we can do whatever we want to do and gallivant about and whatever it may be, but we're separating ourselves from our family. Maybe it's the person of the opposite gender that you say is your friend, but the truth of the matter is, is that they've slowly tried to get between you and your spouse, and if the opportunity were to arrive, they would try to push that to the nth degree. And we say these people can be our friends, but the problem is, is that we cannot Surround ourselves with the same people after we've given our lives to Jesus. Can we still reach out to people who are far from God? Absolutely. Was Jesus a friend of sinners who came to come alongside them and and showed them who he was? Absolutely. But he didn't surround himself in his closest circle with those people, right? He had people who were coming alongside him and, and, and pursuing who he was and living in the kingdom of God. But it's one of those where we can still influence and have an impact on people, but we can't let them negatively influence us to the point where we lose sight of the life God has for us. That Proverbs thirteen twenty says it this way, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Keep that up for a second. Recognize that it calls us to walk with the wise, to become wise, that by surrounding ourselves with wise friends, we will grow in wisdom. But notice that it says a companion of fools doesn't become a fool. They don't just grow in awareness of foolishness. A companion of fools suffers harm. 
It goes more than just you will become like them. It's that you will be negatively impacted and influenced by them. And so we need to choose our friends wisely. So with that says, our main point this morning is recognizing that it's hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. It's hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 1. There's other passages that talk about this idea. In fact, if you're taking notes and you just want to read a passage that's similar to Psalm 1 uh, during your study this week, I would just encourage you to go to Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 8. Uh, It's very similar tone and theme that we're going through today in Psalm chapter 1, but I want to just signal that that would be a great study for you to look at a little bit more. But as you're turning to Psalm chapter 1, which is on page 840 in our church Bible, um, we're going to be looking at a few different dynamics here. And the first one, is the influence of foolish friends. The influence of foolish friends. As you're turning there and as you're writing down the influence of foolish friends, I just want to ask, how many of you in the past, in this winter season, have caught a flu? Yep, how many of you have gotten a cold? How many of you are just separating yourselves from everybody who has had cold because you don't want to get sick? (laughs) All right, so everybody look, you guys are going to have your own section in the front row because no one sits by me. It's, it's fine. Um, but no, so this idea of, of the flu, right? Like we catch the flu. I haven't caught a flu. I caught a cold with a bruised rib, very painful. But it's one of those ideas that how many of you, we talk about who's, who's had a flu or who's had a cold. Now, how many of you have also just made the connection that the word flu comes from the word influenza? The word influenza is part of where we get the word influence. So thinking about this idea that when is it that we are most caught up or contagious when it comes to getting the flu? It's when other people around us are are not showing symptoms yet. It's before the symptom that we are most contagious. And so then that's because that's how it spreads because people don't show any exhibits of being, uh, being sick, but yet they are, so they share that, so then by the time they're sick and they stay home or they don't go to work or church or school, then this person's already sick and the process continues, so then the influenza, the influence, the flu begins to spread. And so then we start to see this idea for us, when are we most in danger of being influenced by foolish friends? It's probably before we are already exhibiting the characteristics like them. It's probably before we're even showing the symptoms that we've been influenced. It's in those moments when their attitudes, actions, thought processes starts to just influence us. It starts to become like that virus that comes and goes inside of our hearts and starts to say, you know, do you really need to read the Bible? I mean, what does that taught you? That's 2,000 years old. That's not important. Or do you really need to go to church? Because what do you do? You stand up, you sit down, you listen to a guy talk for a while. I mean, what's, what's the good in that? Or do you really need to go to a small group? Because we have a work thing. We have a school thing. We have another event that would be great for you to come to instead. In fact, your career would be better served if you do, so you better sacrifice that community. I mean, it's when we start to get influenced by foolish friends. I know foolish is a harsh word, but it's a word we see often in Proverbs and in Psalms and wisdom literature to show someone who rejects God, has no care for God, and lives in direct opposition to God. So we look at the influence of foolish friends. How have you and I maybe caught a virus, caught that influenza that's been influencing how we live our lives? Craig Rochelle says it this way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
We can say that with students and with kids because we see it so clearly. And, and there are parents who probably said, you know, listen, I don't want this person to be your friend. I don't want this person in our house because they could see down the line of, of how that might impact. And as kids, as students, we wonder why it doesn't make sense. These are my friends. But we can understand that when it comes to, to younger um, kids that are kind of in that life and that are in that stage. But this truth does not go away once we leave for college. This truth that showing me your friends and I can show you your future is one that all of us, regardless of our age, needs to be cognizant of, needs to be aware of, because it's still true regardless of our age. Proverbs 12, 26 says something similarly. He says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That we must all choose our friends because why? It is hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. I'm going to read Psalm chapter 1. We're going to read all six verses, then we'll go in a little bit deeper uh, the next few moments afterwards. But this is what Psalm chapter 1 says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. First thing we want to point out to you just as a, as a connection point is that uh, the very first word, that word blessed, uh, in the Hebrew can also be the word as, as happy are those. And so it's this idea that is the same idea that Jesus talks about when he says the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful. It's that same verbiage that's, it's, it can be translated happy, like, oh, the happiness of these people. Oh, how blessed they truly are. But there's a connection to this idea of blessed and happiness. Our culture and our mindset is that happiness is a temporary satisfaction of feeling good right now. But true happiness is true blessedness. True happiness goes much more deeply than my feelings right now. And it goes much more long or lasts much more longer than the temporary moment right now. So we look at this idea of blessed are those, or blessed is the one who does not do these things, does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So in your notes, what's the influence that foolish friends can have on us? Number one, foolish friends can influence us with bad advice. That that verbiage of being able to walk in step with the wicked, other translations will say things like walk in the counsel of the wicked. Walk in step, and this idea of walking is living according to that step, living according to that counsel. And so this is the idea of impacting, that they can impact our, our thought processes, that they can impact how we see things or learn things or hear things. And so this idea, they can influence with, with bad advice. When I was in high school, uh, I wanted to, I had... Um, I, I'm going to say it was cool. It was never really cool. But I wanted to have uh, like either small hoop earrings or I wanted to have like those cubic zirconia that are like $3 from Claire's. And so I got one on my left ear early on from Claire's with a gun, very short and sweet. And then for some reason, uh, my friends and I were talking and we said, He's like, well, why don't we just do, why don't we just pierce your other ear here? I'm like, sounds good. And so 
We got two pieces of ice and we iced one side back here, iced the other side back here. And when I, you know, when I'm like, oh, it, it feels cold, they got a needle and just started poking through. Now, the outside that had a little bit of ice to it wasn't as bad. It was more the mid-ear where it was just very painful. And I'm like, oh, it hurts. Like that was new news. And it's one of those where, oh, it hurts. I'm like, do you want me to stop? I'm like, no, because the last thing I want is him to just keep trying. And so it's one of those where we got it through. Um, don't do this at home. But it was this bad advice. We're like, oh, yeah, two ice cubes and a needle. That'll be good reasoning. It was not, and I immediately regretted that decision. And so that's obviously a, I mean, that is a very superficial example of following bad advice from foolish friends. But there are times when maybe a friend talks to us about, hey, if you, if you put all your money and risk your retirement and put it into this, it's gonna make even more money for you. And this get rich quick idea then thinks, oh, that's, a, that's good advice. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves having lost much of what we've earned. Or maybe it's the person that just says, hey, you know what, here's what you need to do with your marriage. You know what, your spouse, that's their problem. You just work on you, you don't communicate with them, you just live your life the way you wanna live it, and, and everything will work out. And the truth of the matter is that we know when bad advice is bad advice. However, we often will buy into bad advice because good advice takes work, and it's hard. Bad advice is easy, and it feels good now. But then once the numbness of your bad decision and your bad advice wears away, and once the needle of pain starts going through your ear, you immediately regret the decision of following bad advice. And so foolish friends can influence us by giving us bad advice. The next thing that we see here, the next section says, Blesses the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. This is the idea of the, the foolish friends can influence us in the ways of sin. That the standing in the presence that sinners take, it's, it's this idea of now we're, we're associating ourselves with sinners. We're associating ourselves with people who are far from God. And we're allowing sinners and what they're doing to influence how we respond to things and what we do. That we start to, A, with our thought process, start to think, okay, well, yeah, maybe there's some justification, there's some rationalization, there's some reason that might be bad advice, but again, bad advice seems easy and it feels good now. So then we start to continue to move forward in that bad advice to the point where then we are at a crossroads of deciding whether we are going to stand with sinners. Are we going to be influenced in the ways of sin? And I want you to think, maybe we sang earlier in uh, Oh, Come to the Altar. There are those pasts, our regrets, our mistakes, the sins that we've committed, those moments that we recognize that we had fallen short. And I don't want you to dwell on those, but I want you just to think about them briefly and say, think about what that was. And I want you to think about, were you with someone? Some of those sins are things that we, we just did in our own weakness and, and we confess and we, we move forward. But others of those big mistakes that we've made are ones that we've been surrounded by people we thought were our friends, but we followed their bad advice and it moved us into bad action. It moved us into the point of being influenced in the way of sin. And the question is, if a friend is influencing you in the way of sin, is that person really your friend? 
The third point that we see is this idea that blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. So the point we have here is that foolish friends can influence us to settle or to sit, to settle, to be with people who reject God. People who reject God. Psalms 26, 4 and 5 say, I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. That by actually sitting down and, and going beyond just how we think about things, then we go past our actions. But then if we are sitting with people who are scoffers, mockers, these are similar verbiage here uh, in the passage. It's people who are openly and obviously rejecting God. And so if we start to associate with them the most, that we are settling with them, we are sitting with them, we are surrounded by them, then we would be remiss if we did not recognize that that influence, that influenza might start to invade and be like a virus that starts to just question, you know, again, why do you do the things you do? What's the point? Why don't you just do what we're doing? Why you got to be different? Like my friend said, I wish you would go back to the way that you were when the truth is, is that I know I never want to go back to the way that I was. Because the old is gone, the new has come, the slate is clean, we've been restored, so why would we go back to our old ways? So we recognize that if we sit in the company of mockers, it allows them to speak into our lives so much that then what starts off as steadfast faith in God follows bad advice, goes, follows through with bad action, and then receives an attitude of questioning everything that God says, does, and wants for our lives. And then we're already in danger of experiencing the influence of foolish friends, and then we are far from the full life that he wants for us. So we see this again. Does that mean that we don't associate with people who are far from God? Does that mean that we need to separate and isolate from people far from God because we don't want them to like, you know, quote, contaminate us? No, of course not. Jesus surrounded himself from people that were far from God. That was the main thing against him that many of the Pharisees had. But what it means is that in our closest circle, the people who influence us the most, the ones that we sit down with, that we settle with, are those people that are going to be pointing us to foolish advice and bad advice, or those people who are going to be pointing us to our relationship with Jesus and uplifting us into that? We just need to make sure that we are not being unequally yoked with people. Not that we don't witness and connect with people, but that we're not unequally yoked to the point where, like a yoke of oxen, they start to steer us because bad company corrupts good character. That 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And then as I just quoted, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So we've kind of heard the, the, the idea of foolish friends and the influence they can have on us. But we recognize this is not how we're supposed to have. This is not who we're supposed to surround ourselves with because, again, our main point says that it is hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. So finding that balance of witnessing to someone, being there for someone, and being a friend to someone without letting them influence you to the point where then you become more like them than they become like you. So we see this here then. If the idea is not wanting to be with foolish friends, what does this full life look like? What is the blessing of a full life? We're going to see this as we look in uh, verses three through, or sorry, two through six. 
The first thing that we see in the full life is that the full life is one that delights in God's word. Verse two, blesses the one from verse one, jumping down, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That in order to delight in something, you have to spend time with something. In order to delight in something truly, you have to appreciate it. And in order to appreciate it, you have to spend time with it. And so in order to delight in God's word, it means that we meditate on it day and night. That it's how we, it's the lens through which we see our lives. That we don't listen to the bad advice anymore, but we say, how does that advice compare to what scripture says, what God says? How does the scripture shape and teach me what is wise versus unwise? And so that becomes our barometer and our way, our standard through which we make all of our decisions. And so it says that we delight in that day and night. Very few of us, I mean, I could be wrong, but not probably we are less likely to delight in fast food that's quick and it's just going to fuel us. And we're more likely to delight in a home-cooked meal over a table with friends or family that we love, that we spend time and we slow down. Because to delight in something means to appreciate it, and to appreciate it means to spend time with it, to slow down and to be able to delight in God's word. Verse three shows us that the full life is one that prospers. What does that mean to prosper? Does it mean that everything works out all the time for people who love Jesus? Those of us who love Jesus know that no, it doesn't mean everything's the way we want it all the time. Here's what it says instead. Verse three, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So the blessed person, the one who's living a full life, is someone who does three things. The first thing that that person does is that they plant themselves near the right life source. That a stream of water in the desert meant life. That meant that you were able to get fresh water. That's why Jesus refers to being the living water in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. I mean, living water in that context was life. It was everything. So planting themselves, a blessed person living the full life, plants themselves near the stream of living water, near the right source. And then they bear fruit all the time. Is that what the scripture says? No, no, no. They bear fruit in due season. That all of our lives doesn't mean that things are great all the time. But in the season, the reason we're able to bear fruit is because we are remaining in the vine. That Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches in John 15. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So it means that we find the right life source, which is Jesus, and we plant our lives. We build our lives in Jesus. And then we bear fruit by staying connected, by remaining, by abiding. We stay connected to Jesus. And then what they do is that it says that when the leaf does not change color and and it does not wither. And this shows us that when we do those things, we plant ourselves to, the, to Jesus, we remain in him and bear fruit, that then when difficulties come, when seasons of difficulty come, because they will, when those moments come, it's, it's not that we get destroyed. It's not that it, the leaf does not wither away. It doesn't mean that seasons won't change. It doesn't mean it won't be tough, but it will not destroy us. It will not tear us down because, again, we are remaining in the vine and we are planted in the right life source. 
that whatever we do will prosper. It doesn't mean that we're going to have all the money, have all the things that we've always wanted. It means that we'll be able to flourish by being branches connected to the vine of Jesus and bearing fruit. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That we can be seen by the fruit of our relationship with him. And so we want to bear good fruit. And sometimes, as we mentioned earlier, the best fruit that we bear comes from the soil of trial and tribulation. That we lean into God and he produces a fruit that is far beyond anything we could imagine. That we can look back and say, that was the toughest season of my life. But guess what? God upheld me. I fixed my eyes upon the hills. Where did my help come from? It came from God and I did not wither. Wasn't easy, but I can still say I prospered because of who God is and what he's done. So the full life is one that delights in God's word. Verse three shows us that a full life is one that prospers. And verses four through six show us that the full life is one that does not get blown away or perish. It says, verse four, not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Again, this dichotomy, this opposite of saying, one way leads to life, one way leads to death, one way leads to hope, one way leads to despair, one way is great and it gives us life. And it shows us this idea that this way that leads to death, it feels good at the time and it seems easier because it probably is easier. But if you were to paint the picture of the life that they share, following after bad advice, recognizing that we are allowing them to influ- people to influence us, our closest friends influence us into sin, and recognizing that because of that, we are settling with mockers it creates this life that is easily tossed around in the winds of difficulty. It's the picture of, if we were to use a plant life, it's the picture of a tumbleweed, something that just comes and it's so easy to just blow across the road. It doesn't have the roots anymore. It is not growing anymore. It is essentially something dead that is continuing to move on with the appearance of life when rather it's just something that has been blown away like chaff. It has no strength. It has no root. It has no hope. And so if we look at that, we could build our lives upon that foundation the same way that we could choose to build our lives on the shifting sand that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. Or, or we recognize what it means to live this full life. We, we buy in and we lean into the idea of building our life upon the full life of Jesus, being close to the life source and being planted deeply into the life source, that we bear fruit by abiding in the vine and that when difficulty t- comes, we lean into him, we connect with him, we stay connected and he bears fruit and we do not wither, we are not blown away, we do not have like a tumbleweed existence just going to wherever the wind may take us, but we stand firm so that when the winds of despair or difficulty arise, we only grow all the stronger because we have a God who is with us and draws us close to him. That he bears his best fruit through the soil of difficulty and trials. And so, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. It's not on the screen, so just listen here. This is what Paul talks about, that we're not blown away or nor do we perish. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That when we have our lives based on what the, the influenza, the influence of foolish friends, we only want to do what feels good now. We ignore good advice because it's hard. And we want to be able to just go through life and hope that things work out. But when we lean into difficult things and taking the time to delight in God's word or taking the time to set aside community in a small group or community in the church or whatever it is, and we take that seriously, the more the roots grow deeper when trials come and we're able to experience the growth and the life that is full, that is a life abundant, that Jesus came, we may have life and life to the full in John 10, chapter 10. So what I'm going to ask you to do, some of you have been taking notes Awesome. Some of you haven't been taking notes. That's fine. Just don't show me. Um, but no, turn, turn your, I'm going to ask you to take your note page. I'm going to ask you to turn it on the other side. It's just a blank on the back side. And on the top of it, I just want you to write these words, my five closest friends, and then draw an underline underneath it. This is an activity that you can do now. Um, or you can do this later, just kind of depends. For some of you, you've got your five closest friends and you can just rattle them off. You just write them down and you're able to just do that. Some of you, you're, you're still, you know, you have to process that. But what I want you to do is I want you to, my five closest friends, to one, two, three, four, five, have those, um, those names written out. And this week, I want you to ask a few questions based off of that list. The first question I want you to ask, and then based on their answer, I'm going to have you make a certain mark, okay? So based on that list of those five, I want you to look at each person and ask this question. Does this person point me to foolish advice or do they point me to delight in God's word? If they point you to foolish advice, just make an X next to their name. If they point you to delighting in God's word, make a check mark to their name. The next question I want you to process for each individual person, does this person influence me in the way of sin? If so, make an X. Or do they influence me in prospering and bearing fruit in my relationship with Christ? Do they influence me in the way of sin? Or do they influence me in the way of prospering and bearing fruit? Again, sin, mark an X. If they prosper you or they help you to prosper, make a check mark. Number three, does this person who is in my closest group of friends, do they openly and obviously reject God? If so, mark an X. Or do they encourage me in my walk with God? Are they asking me the tough questions of how's your quiet time? What is God shaping you and teaching you right now? Are they asking you to be accountable? Are they holding you and sharpening you? Uh, are they asking you to reject God? Are they helping you to be drawn closer and encouraging you in your walk with him. 
And I recognize that as you put those five down, there's going to be a few of different camps of you in here. Some of you are going to look at that list and you're going to look and you're going to say, oh man, there's a bunch of check marks here. Uh, this is really exciting. It's affirming to know that I'm able to help be able to live this full life because I'm not surrounding myself with foolish friends. What I would say is that if you're that person and you look at your list and you've got check marks there, give that person a phone call this week or those people. Thank them for the influence that they've been in your life and express just your gratitude for how God has used them to help you become the man or woman that God's called you to become. If you look at that list and you see, oh man, most of my people that I would call my closest friends actually just have a lot of X's next to them. And, and in that sense, then it's recognizing who am I allowing to speak into me most intimately and deeply. And if I'm surrounding myself with people that have all these X's next to them that are pointing me towards foolish friendships rather than the full life, then maybe it's an example for you or a moment for you rather to step back and say, God, I want to be a witness to this person. I know they know my junk and I know that they know my, my issues, but I want to be an influence to them. But Lord, please don't let them influence me to become more like them. Because if we have three X's next to someone's name, as we all know, if it's three strikes, you're out. You got to take a step. And not that we don't love them and not that we don't witness to them, but we don't want to be a witness to our own destruction because... We are a companion of fools who suffer harm. So maybe for some of us, we need to really pray through how do we navigate that? It doesn't mean we shun them. It doesn't mean we reject them. It doesn't mean that. It just means how do I shift that from them being my closest confidants and people who speak into my life to how are they people I reach out to, but yet don't let them influence me too deeply. And then lastly, for some of you, you have a hard time coming up with five friends. For some of you, you got to maybe one or two, and then you said, well, I could put this person, I haven't talked to them in about six months, but you know, I mean, we're still fine. Or maybe you, you got to a few of them and you realized, I, I, who speak, no one's speaking into me right now. And that's a tough place too, because like we said last week, loneliness is on the rise in our culture, whereas deep friendships are on the decline. So if that's you, then this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church that you could surround yourself with other students or men or women that are able to come alongside you in your journey. And if you're a blank slate with friendships, this is a chance to invest in the right place, to plant your friendships next to the stream of living water that's the right source, to bear fruit with one another, to encourage one another, and to fulfill the 59 one another's that we see in the New Testament. This is an opportunity for us to step outside of our loneliness and recognize that if there's any place in the entire world in which loneliness should be on the decline and deep friendships should be on the rise, it is the church. It is the place where we walk through those doors and we don't put our masks on to make it look like we have it all together. It's a place where we would see our parking lot littered with masks saying, I don't want to be like a fake person here. I want to be who I am and I want God to work in me and through me to help me become who he wants me to be. And how do we be, get those kind of friendships? Here's the secret. We must be the kind of friend we want to be the most. We must be the kind of friend we need the most. We must be the kind of friend we want the most. 
We must live that full life like the tree in Psalm 1. And in so doing, as we are living that out, then we will be able to make those friendships with other people who want the same thing. Because I guarantee there's someone in this section that's looking forward, and there's someone in this section that's looking forward, and yet they feel like they can't get connected because of the busyness of Sunday morning. But if we are being the kind of friend that we want and that we need, and that God wants us to have those relationships with, then we are able to then establish those friendships with other like-minded people who recognize that it is hard for us to live a full life when we are surrounded by foolish friends. So God might have some work to do in us this morning. He might have some work to do in us as we read Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 later. He might have some work to do in us as we look at our friendships. But imagine, imagine what it would look like that that kind of friend you're looking for, that you are that friend. And then God starts to bring people and friendship deepens and it's stronger than anything you could imagine. Because we are not meant to be in self-contained isolation or solitary confinement. We are meant to do life together for it is good when brothers and sisters come together in unity as Psalm 133 says. So as you leave this morning, as we pray this morning, as we close this morning, May we just remember that wherever we want to go to live the full life, that it is hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for each person that is here this morning. And I thank you for those that might be listening online later. Lord, I pray that you would, God, that you would strike a chord within us of something that maybe resonates that we need to wrestle with or process or pray through or God, whatever that may be, whether we're in a place, Lord, where we want to rejoice and celebrate and text friends who have been good friends and are grateful for that community you surround us with, may we be encouragers to spur one another to good deeds and to share how grateful we are, that we would be a place where we don't just thank people uh, when things are tough, but we thank them even when things are good. Lord, for those of us that may be having friends that are difficult or might be tearing us down, might be holding us back, might be pulling us towards the foolish life, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to still love them and how to still impact them without being influenced on the negative side. Help us to be witnesses. Help us to share, to do life with people who are far from you, not to shun them, but to do life with them in such a way, though, that we guard our hearts for it is the wellspring of life. And for those of us who feel like we don't have those friends readily available, we're still in the midst of that, God, help us to be the friend that we want to have, to be the friend that we need, be that kind of person that lives according to the tree in Psalm 1, and that in so doing, may you bring the right like-minded people in your season, that we would bear fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.